0: Scuttlebutt is a production of Bertha Mae Productions along with Portland Media Center. Written by Donnie McVane. Hosted by Leslie McVane. Read by Roger Burley. Music by Chuck Romanoff. Nova, day after day. Coming and going like ever before. Gossip is so ugly. Try as you may it comes. In you and out of your door. Scuttlebutt. Ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'll agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. Scuttlebutt! Welcome to part two of Scuttlebutt, the story of a young man, Manly Moore, returning to his home after World War II and how he hopes to follow his dreams of living on the island. We last left Manley shortly after he had returned home and saw his parents. Exhausted after the excitement of the trip home, Manley went to bed early. Now, part two, read by Roger Burley. When Manley stepped outside the next morning, he wouldn't have admitted it, but he was quite pleased to see it thick of fog. That hopefully meant no hauling today he really needed to see Sperma and discuss lobstering. After a large breakfast, he drove his pretty young mother, who looked like a slightly older sister, to the big house on the point. This old rambling cottage of 14 rooms had always belonged to the Morgenthau family and is where Truly had grown from a baby into a beautiful young lady. Gainley Moore had occasion to watch and wait. Truly's mother, Eva, had gone to work at the Morgenthaws after her husband Henry Cousins died tragically. She was given a job mostly because she had no other source of income and John Morgenthau had a soft place for scuttle natives. It was soon evident that she was a wonderful cook and John Morgenthau asked her to be chief cook every summer and also to be caretaker year round. Truly was at home here as she grew older and John Morgenthau treated her like another child of his own. Gainley and Truly married in the local church and had their reception at the tastefully decorated Morgenthau estate. After many years of widowhood, Truly's mother, Eva, married an elderly man who frequently visited John Morgenthau. Eva gave up her job that fall and moved to Florida with her new husband, Truly filled in temporarily and had now been there for 22 years. John's wife, Evangeline, hated Scuttle and was rarely in residence. After dropping his mother off at the big house, Manley went looking for Sperma. It's never been difficult to find that fella, Manley thought as he picked his buddy up from the middle of the road where he had been standing. Good to see you, Sperm. "'But could you tell me, how does that work, "'take a ride, taking a ride either direction? "'Don't you sometimes end up farther from where you was going "'in the first place?' "'Well, Manley, what if I wasn't going anywhere in the first place?' "'Sperma turned and stared at his longtime friend. "'How about if I didn't know where I wanted to end up? "'Think what a help that would have been.' Manley just rolled his eyes.' These two had been friends since they were only boys in sub-primary their first year of school. They were mismatched by size and personality. Manly was a 6'3", 160 solid pounds. Sperma was a springy 138 pounds and seemed destined to stay there. And if comparing personalities, one was off the chart on one side and the other was hanging over the opposite edge. Many conversations ended with one or the other totally in the dark. They were perfect examples of unlikes attracting. Friendship abounded. Gainley watched Manley and truly head off toward the point and then gathered up some tools and went to work on his punt. He had already removed three of the bottom boards that had come loose the night that Sperma had borrowed the punt, so replacing new boards should be real easy, he figured, He also figured it was strange that a couple of small pieces of crumbly cement fell out when he removed the boards. The tough part of this job was to drive the longer ten-penny nails into the long boards that made the sides of the punt. Nailing on the first pine board, he remembered the the new hand drill he'd recently bought. Returning from the cellar with the drill and the proper-sized bit, he noted the fog hanging over the water was now scaling up good. The boys deserve a decent day after the long winter and spring. A glance towards Morgenthau's was just in time to see Lister's store delivery truck stop at the big house. The hand drill worked great. Well, part way. Then when it tried to drill the water-soaked sideboard, it didn't cut it at all. Live and learn, thought Gainley as he drilled the dry bottom boards and pounded the nails into the water-soaked sides. Shoot, Gainley, Why didn't you start a little fire so you could have hot water? (laughs) Because I'm too numb, that's why, he answered himself. But he found that the water heated earlier in the day was still quite warm. After carrying two buckets to the punt, he went for burlap bags. First, he spread the bags over the dry boards and dumped in the water, wetting the bags. It didn't take long for the open seams to allow the excess water to drain to the beach. He had to leave a fairly wide space between the boards so that when they swelled, they wouldn't warp and buckle up. Years earlier, Gainley had built a punt in the fall and launched it, fully expecting the boards to swell. They did, but it took some time. Yeah, almost seven months. It was a well-learned lesson. After four more buckets of water, Gainley decided to spread tar paper over the bags for the black to attract the sun and hold in the heat. Exiting the cellar with a roll of tar paper, Gainley once again peered over at the point. He dropped the tar paper and (laughs) and unrolled himself all the way down the beach. He said to no one in particular, Oh, my God, that smoke over there, am I truly is there. He ran to the house and grabbed the telephone from the top of the box with the two bells on it and cranked rapidly. Gert was right there, Number, please. A different voice was asking, Who is it, Gertrude? I don't know, Mrs. Johnson. Let's be quiet. And maybe they'll tell us. Good. There's smoke coming out the upstairs windows, and a lot of it. Gotcha, Ganley. I'll take care of it. Goodbye, Mrs. Johnson. Thank you, Gert. Oh, sakes alive, don't go, Ganley. You didn't see where the smoke was coming from. You know, it is very important that I know precisely where the problem is. I blow the alarm, you know, and that's how everyone knows where to go. Well, it's Morgenthau's house out on the point. Well, I am trying to hurry, Mrs. Johnson. Manley and Sperma were mosing along as Sperma was firing questions, with Manley trying not to say too much. I'm on leave, not discharged yet. After my leave is up... I expect they still want me to report back to San Diego. Manley realized that he had no idea where he was driving. Just where we bound, sperm. Let's us go to Holly Gay's and see what they're up to. I guess you must have heard my cousin Rain is here visiting Holly Gay. And boy, is she a handful. Sperma said with a knowing laugh, Wait till you meet her. She's anything like you, Sperma Maybe I shouldn't meet her. Uh, she's ten times worse than me, I swear. At the very least ten times, probably more. Well, it didn't take long for Manley to discover Sperma's assessment of the girl who had left Scuttle long ago was right on. Rain was at best a wild young lady. He'd met her maybe 15 minutes ago, and now here he was playing strip poker for the first time in his life. He had played penny-ante poker enough on the ship to know how to play, and he knew he was on a lucky streak. I didn't think we'd be taking off our underwear, preached Holly Gay, as she observed Rain fussing with her brazier. We aren't, are we, Rain? Why not? I can't imagine how you could play strip poker without taking off your clothes. I've no reason to hide. Rain looked around the table for support, which was quickly coming from sperma, but with not a word from Manley. I can't take off my underclothes. I just can't. It wouldn't be proper. Holly Gay was adamant. You don't have to do anything you don't want to, Holly Gay. This is... A siren started wailing. What in the devil is that? Receiving no answer and not wanting to be left out of whatever was happening, Rain quickly donned her clothes. In no time at all, the truck with three in front and Holly Gay in the back sped to the telephone office, which was also Gert's home. Gert was outside, ready to direct traffic, and she gave orders to anyone who came by. She told Manley's crew to get the fire truck and go to Morgenthau's. They got all the information from Gert, plus instructions on how to start and drive the fire truck. At this point, Manley, knowing truly was all alone out there, began to fret. We got to get her going. Got gotcha, you, good. Thanks. Yes, yes, we will, Mrs. Johnson. We certainly will. Running to the cellar to fetch the family's old bicycle built for two and, at the moment, his fastest means to get to the house on the point, Gainley tried pedaling up the sloping, sloping driveway. But he soon gave that up and was pushing the bicycle up the very slight hill. There came a voice behind him. "'Where is the fire? Do you know Mr. Moore?' Gainley knew the voice. "'Hiya, Miss Adams. "'The smoke is coming from Mr. Morgenthau's upstairs windows.' "'It sounded strange to, to Gainley to fully pronounce the ing, "'but since Rose Adams had become teacher "'and felt so strongly about diction, "'many people who lived in Scuttle tried to speak more properly, "'especially when within the teacher's hearing. "'The previous teacher, being from down east,' had spoken with with even more of a Maine accent than Gainley. "'I'd ought to get a move on, Miss Adams. My truly is out there,' Gainley apologized. "'Oh, don't let me hold you up.' Then the pretty lady got up enough nerve to say, "'If you were going to the fire, might I ride with you? I'll try hard not to be a burden.' Gainley turned toward Rose Adams and blurted out. "'Oh, do you ride, Miss Adams?' Bicycles were my only means of transportation until I went to college. Well, hop aboard, then. Gainley made a show of holding the bike steady while the young lady hopped nimbly on. Then he struggled to mount up himself. They had gone only a little way when it dawned on Gainley that they were going wicked fast, and he was hardly doing any pedaling. He thought of something. How come you didn't ride bicycles after you got to college? Well, I did for a while but I realized I was attracting too much attention. Rose sounded sad, though she tried not to. I'm not sure that I know what you mean, Miss Adams, putting her in a position she had been trying to totally stay clear of. Because of my size, some of the students heckled me, and I decided it would be easier to stop making a spectacle of myself than to keep turning the other cheek. Soft-hearted, gainly sympathized. Young people can be so thoughtless and even hatless. It makes me feel sad just to think about it. He stopped pumping and turned part way around. And you was the first time away from home too, probably. Rose was giving more of her life story than she'd ever told anyone. I really never had a home. I was a state kid and actually had many homes, but none for very long and none feeling at all homey. Breaking clear of the trees, they could see, both see that there was not a bit of smoke. Huh. The only noticeable thing was the knot of people standing around the porch. Truly saw the bicycle built for two approaching and figured it must be Gainley, since to the best of her knowledge, they had the only bike like that on the point. When she figured out who was on back, she blossomed out with a great big happy smile. Even before he reached the porch, Gainley started talking. There was smoke pouring out them upstairs windows when I called. Good. What was it? Boy, did we have smoke. When I lit the fireplace off, the smoke came pouring out like the Dickens. Mr. Lister tried the damper, and that did absolutely nothing. By then, the smoke was so darn thick, we had to run downstairs, excuse me, upstairs, and open windows. Truly turned, and acknowledged Rose with a friendly hug, She pulled the teacher over to Woodrow, who was also down in the yard, and who was looking nervous and scared. I'm betting you two have never been properly introduced, so here we remedy that. Miss Rose Adams, please say hello to Mr. Woodrow Eaton, who is a very good lobsterman and lives in a lovely home on the North Shore. Rose was more than willing to make a new friend, especially a nice-looking man like this. She shook his hand a second or two longer than necessary and professed that she was the local schoolteacher. Woodrow was tongue-tied and could only sputter. But never one to give up, Truly spotted the discarded bicycle and quickly suggested that it would be a great favor for Woodrow and Rose to take the bike back to the house. Even before Rose could happily agree, shy and withdrawn Woodrow said quietly, I hear the fire truck come in. In a couple of moments, the tardy old truck steamed into view with manly driving and a strange girl sitting beside him on the open-to-nature seat high up on top of the ancient vehicle. The fire truck was so old it had no enclosed cab. They looked for all the world like they could be perched on top of a stagecoach. The instant the truck stopped, the two men riding on the back, decked out in full fireman's gear ran toward the house, dragging a fire hose. Before reaching the house, Sperma, who was in front, said, Uh-oh, Sam, looks like we got us a false salam. Changing direction, he then sang out, We had word that Cootie Eaton's place was burning out of control. Well, that moved them all to look over at Woodrow Eaton, who tried to hide his embarrassment behind the schoolteacher. So all the way back in the second grade that during a teacher's inspection, Woodrow had been found with a bug in his fairly long, spanking clean blonde hair. It wasn't surprising that some kids began calling him Cootie, and even less surprising that the nickname most prob- would most probably originated with the kids that had head lice at practically every inspection. Head lice were a common problem in most rural schools, especially for girls with long hair The rare boy with a mother who hated to allow his beautiful hair to be cut off. Woodrow was accustomed to the teasing. In one instance, some of the older boys rolled him into a mud puddle, getting his knickers and long stockings so muddy wet the teacher wouldn't allow him in school and sent him home for the afternoon. He told his teacher, Miss Conroy, that he had slipped and fell in a puddle, but despite that lying to protect the 7th and 8th grade boys, the nickname was still heard occasionally. Woodrow had always been a bit different from most scuttle boys. His mother made sure that he was always dressed, and these nice clothes contrasted with the hand-me-downs that most scuttle kids wore. As if that wasn't enough, Woodrow took piano lessons for years with no let-up until his teacher died of old age. But there was no other piano teacher on the point so Woodrow finally got clear of that particular drudgery. The family could afford these things with only one child and a regular $24 paycheck every week. Gordon Eaton, Woodrow's father, was the state of Maine clam warden for the area, and now that Scuttle had electricity, he also sold majestic radios on the side. He had not sold many, though, since the Depression, as there was very few local people who had any money. Price of fish, including shellfish, was unbelievably low. The same could be said for farm products. It had been this way throughout the whole Depression. There was darn little to be happy about in those homes. You would turn on the radio and hear that song, Happy days are here again, and could only wish it were so. Gainley frequently talked with the Eaton family and how there wasn't a cleaner family in Scuttle. To his way of thinking, Woodrow's father's Woodrow's nickname was totally unfair. If he heard someone use it, he would straighten him out when he got the chance. A similar story was oft-repeated how a baby boy named Eugene was called Stinky by a doting uncle. When he started school and the teacher asked his name, the little boy announced his name was Stinky. Most all the kids in scuttle school laughed. The teacher insisted that they all call him Eugene, and they did, but only while they were in school. But the name stayed almost up to middle age and was still heard occasionally until he was lost at sea. The strange thing was that the boy didn't seem to care a whit what he was called. Gainley tried to get people talking because there seemed to be an uncomfortable silence at the moment. "'How's things looking over to your side, Woodrow?' Okay, I guess, had a crawling shedder yesterday. Gainly knew this meant that lobster had crawled out of its old shell recently, and for a few weeks, a new shell had been hardening. A crawling shedder. It was fairly obvious that neither man was long on words. Fairly had. Well, won't be long now. But the conversation was strained and died out and truly took over. Rose, did you know Woodrow plays the piano very, very well? Well, the happy lady turned and looked at the man standing behind her. No, I haven't heard that. That's wonderful. Do you like to play Woodrow? Woodrow mumbled something and tried to smile as much as he could manage. Truly then managed to put the other oar in the water. I got all distracted. Would you and Woodrow take the bike back to the house for us? Be dacked. Well, we could, and there's no light on it. Oh, we'd be proud to, wouldn't we, Woodrow? Rose glanced at Woodrow, who did not appear to be unhappy at the prospect. That's settled, then, so I can get right to cook and supper. Manley, do you want to have supper here? And how about you, Manly? Fish chowder here? Sounds good, Mom. Let's go see if we can figure out what's the matter with this chimney, son. Well, it didn't take long to find out while the fire, why the fireplace smoked. There was a gaping hole in the chimney. Picking up a piece of cement in his hand, he crumbled it easily. Oh, I'd say them rocks fell out, but they sure didn't blow away without some help. Gainley didn't sound too upset, much to Manley's relief. What do you think happened, Dad? Huh, only ones I can think of are them mainlanders. Who else would be numb enough to take a chimney down starting from the bottom? He turned more of the cement into sand. It's good in a way, though. If them rocks fell out in a northwest gale with a good fire blazing, it could be some bad. The chimney builder, whoever he was, must have had a bad batch of cement going on. All round that hole, it seems fine. The bad cement. Did get Gainley thinking though. Manley didn't want to even think about where the ballast rocks and the new trap Sperma had mentioned came from. He was happy to let the mainland, mainlanders take blame that doubtless belonged much closer to home. Gainley and son came back around the house just in time to see the bicycle riders and get their enlistment to help him repair the chimney. Manley joined his two friends sitting high up on the fire truck, Sam being in his regular spot in his regular get-up. They stopped at the moor home to get the battery from the cellar. While they were there, Manley said to Sperma, Check that battery out, would you, sperm? I'm going to dump more warm water on the pond. Sperma did just as he was told and gave the battery a good-looking over. But he didn't have a lot of experience in storage batteries, so he decided... That might not be what his buddy meant. He said, Sam, could you check out that battery? He then watched Sam take an old handsaw and hold it upside down across the battery posts. At Sam's grunt of satisfaction at the spark, Sperma said, well, I would have done that if I'd known that was what, what was wanted. The three went out and joined Manley, who was just pouring the sixth bucket of warm water on the bags. Without being told, Sam went down on the beach and retrieved the rolled-out tar paper and neatly re-rolled it back up. He then brought it to the punt, saying, I'm sure Gainley was going to do this for he got sidetracked. Black side up is fine as kind, okay, Manley. Well, they got the fire truck back to its home, steaming more than ever. There they found the young lady they'd lost on their trip to where there was no smoke. There was smoke but no fire. She was a little upset, but when Manley explained that she wasn't discovered missing until they were partway down the point, she quickly got over it. The battery from the cellar readily started their truck, so they didn't bother switching them out. Sam was dropped off at the neck, and the girls were driven to the Smythe residence. Rain stayed in the truck, still trying to talk Manley into a beach party, but it was to no avail, so she left reluctantly. On the way to his house, Sperma never shut up, dredging up stories of some of their bygone pranks. Remember we towed that old dory that drifted in that time? We towed it behind Lister's truck till there went not no bottom left. Remember that Jimmy O'Hara was in it? He had to run fast he could once the bottom was gone. He looked some funny. And that summer complaints punt we borrowed from under his porch. You and me went tobogganing in it, remember? on Bacon's Hill? That punt was built by Levi Norwich. The deal was with all ox and two coats of paint. They shook on it for twenty five dollars. Oars, if he wanted them, was two dollars each or three seventy five each if they was a softwood. That guy shorted the price down after it was built, with Levi throwing in the oars. After you was gone, I got to thinking about that cheap bastard and how we cheated old Levi, and him with only one arm. You know, that withered one wasn't worth nothing. Sperma noticed they were stopped abreast of his path, but he still wanted to finish his story. Well, Holly Gay's brother Shad and me, we hauled that punt out from under that cheapskate's porch. We towed it till there was just one board holding the sides together. Spurma finally paused and gave Manley a chance to speak. I was still in boot camp and got a letter from Mom. She said Dad was putting a new bottom on Mr. Morgenthau's plan. You wouldn't know anything about that now, would you, Spam? Manley, you've hurt me deeply, he climbed out of the truck. Well, I'll be seeing you later. Only in your dreams, Spam. I'm going to bed early. Dad wants to haul tomorrow put the truck in gear and prepared to drive when Sperma stopped him. You do know the Morgenthau's went back to Pennsylvania and left that punt on the moron for two months with no copper paint on the bottom? Bottom boards had to be right plumb full of worms and dozy to boot. That punt was right dangerous. Someone could have been lost in it. Sperma should have been a lawyer, Manley thought, as he finally drove away. He's got a bat. Ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'll agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me.